Momentarily for class solidarity Cash circulating, give the masses back its currency Greed from elites, oligarchs stay fed Deep state, faith fed, everybody break bread Racism, homophobia, sexism, religion And it's melted by reliving Time to build a new system, unionize labor rights Highlight the issue, talking heads left is best The saga continues The No Mickey Show I am Patricia Salazar an Ecuadorian lawyer for the affected communities for the pollution caused by Chevron on the Ecuadorian Amazon. On that capacity, I've been working with Steven Donzinger for several years. Steven successfully helped the Ecuadorian affected communities to win a lawsuit against Chevron, and because of that, he's currently in prison. This successful legal battle would not have been in place, but for Steven, and a handful of community leaders. That's why he had won the love and respect of thousands of people here in Ecuador. I'm grateful to work in this case and to work with Stephen because his integrity as a lawyer, his courage as a man, and his warm heart as a human being. As a colleague, I admire him and I respect him and I love him as a friend. I ask you to help Stephen to win back his freedom from the Danbury priest. He's a courageous man, but he's living under abysmal conditions. He had lost around 20 pounds, and the entire prison is in lockdown. This battle is uneven, so in order to get Stephen's freedom and to force Chevron to pay the judgment, we need a higher level of resources. The higher we raise, the better chance we get to get Stephen's freedom and to clean up the environment and to get medical treatment to the affected communities. Please give what you can. Keep in mind that Stephen has around 150,000 followers on social media. So if you give 25 or even $1, it really makes a difference. Please donate what you can to the Dunzinger Defense Fund. Thank you very much for occurring and thank you very much for your support. Muchas gracias por su ayuda y muchas gracias por su apoyo. Hello and welcome to the Nomi He Show. It is a Friday, December 10th, Femme Friday, and you were just listening to a plea by one of Stephen's Stephen Donzinger, the attorney who uh, defended indigenous people in Ecuador, he's been doing this for the last three decades, and he won a judgment, a major lawsuit against Chevron, uh, one of the largest oil companies in the world. You've heard this story from us and from others. We first had Stephen on uh, last year in the spring and have developed a, a very good relationship with him and his lawyers. Um and some of his colleagues. And we've been giving you guys updates along the way. Um, that was a lawyer that he has worked with uh, in, in Ecuador making this case, talking a little bit more about uh, the conditions that Stephen faced in the Danbury prison. Um, Stephen has been giving these updates along the way through social media, through his lawyers, um, you know, writing in emails, which 
it's a little complicated because it has to go through screening of the prison. Uh, he has very brief calls with his lawyers, a very brief visit with his family. But we have some news today, and it's great news, but it is not perfect news. Um, Stephen has actually been released from prison because of the conditions. And the difference is, is now he is going to be serving out his sentence from home. Different from his home, his previous uh, sentence at home, they're actually going to be, he can't drink. He has to be monitored at all times. It is a prison. It is like he's actually a prisoner in his home. It's not just under house arrest anymore. You know, when he was under house arrest, he was a little bit more mobile, able to have wine with his family and have people come in and out. This is prison, but at home. But I, I want to actually read an update from Stephen from uh, just two days ago, I believe, four days ago, excuse me. So you get a sense of what the conditions are like in the Danbury prison during COVID. They are under lockdown. Um, I think it's really important for, you know, Stephen, he's not just, he's not just keeping us all in the loop about what's happening. He's actually using his privilege, this is important, as he has done throughout his legal career, but he's using his privilege to educate folks and his platform about what's happening to others and what life is like in prison. He's lost over 20 pounds, as you have heard, and he has is, he is barely served out half of his sentence. Um, I'm going to read you what he said. So the Free, Free Donzinger team has received a new message from Stephen in prison. The lockdown for COVID is also perplexing. We are jammed together 24-7 with no social distancing. Few wear masks, all share tiny cells. The guards who come in are only 50% vaccinated, even though it's against the law, by the way. So they are potential vectors for the virus or at least its, or, or its latest variant. There is no COVID testing. Nobody checks regularly for COVID symptoms. Those seeking medical care with a cough or runny nose must wait at least a week or longer to see the one full-time doctor serving 1,200 male and female prisoners. It's scary to me that nobody knows if anybody among us has COVID because there is no testing. The prison reports no COVID cases. Staff are not tested before they report to work. Worse, federal judges are citing the phantom reports of zero cases to deny, quote, compassionate release to the medically vulnerable. The judges are finding there is no longer any danger at Danbury from COVID. Given these factors, locking us in 24-7 seems untethered to any legitimate notion of medical necessity. There is tremendous camaraderie inside, lots of card games, weightlifting, reading, and discussion. Those inside help each other figure out their cases in a way most lawyers would never do. Received a letter today from a musician in Lyon, France, who composed a song in honor of my work. Another woman from Manhattan sent a beautiful poem. A law student from Tennessee wrote to say he is studying environmental law but is scared to enter the field and end up in prison. You can only write back to a few people, but please know how much I appreciate the inspiring communications. I'm saving all of the letters and postcards. So, um, I, you know, this is very powerful that he was, of course, uh, able to get out. He has a lot of support, legal support. Um, there are quite a few leaders who are supporting him. You have congressional members. Many of the squad members are supporting him. You have people writing letters. Um, there has been a lot of behind the scenes machinations to make sure that Stephen is safe because beyond all this, he's, he's fighting something that's much, much bigger. You know, COVID is a concern, but there are other security concerns I'm sure um, he's worried about. And he is a line of defense for hundreds, if not thousands, of 
people in Ecuador right now who deserve justice. You know, folks in Ecuador, if you if you are not an American, if you're not a white male American who has a legal degree from Ivy Leagues, you may have been treated a little bit differently, especially if you were doing this work in a country um, that doesn't, you know, imprison, <laughs> normally imprison lawyers and, and journalists, does not kill lawyers and journalists. This is an unprecedented case. This is why this is so important that we keep talking about it. But I also want to, and this is my personal perspective, I want to I want to share something um, tactically. So what Stephen has gone through is undeniably unprecedented. This is why the UN and a consortium of legal experts and lawyers around the globe have spoken out. World leaders have spoken out about this case being completely unprecedented, that it was a kabuki court, that, you know, it's not only that the the judge had conflicts of interest, but went out of her way to set up further conflicts of interest. This is not normal. He, on top of all this, to be sentenced to, with this type of sentence for a misdemeanor that he also didn't <laughs> commit, uh, is also not normal. Unprecedented means not normal. And it creates a pathway for a potential pattern. Anytime a lawyer decides to take on a major company, today it's Chevron, tomorrow it might be uh, Amazon, it might be Tesla, it might be Elon Musk, it might be Walt Disney, it might be one of these major monopolies. They have a lot of money, a lot of power, and in our country we have really weak campaign finance rules, and we appoint our justices in many situations. And in others, there, there are uncontested uh, elections, which people don't understand, you know, who's on the ballot. So this is a very important case that we stand for. But we have an administration. So how does this all shift? How do we make sure that Stephen is protected, that Stephen is, is released from his sentence, and furthermore, that Chevron actually pays their fees? Well, the buck stops the Biden administration. It stops at Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland has the ability to supersede all of these rulings so that the Justice Department does not have a new precedent because today it might be Stephen, but tomorrow it could be, you know, the January 6th rioters, the terrorists, because they might be using this against someone on the left right now, supposedly on the left, meaning, you know, he's a lawyer, but he's not you know, taking a political stance here. Um, but it could be against, you know, the right wing, the far right could be going against one of Biden's folks or one of Merrick Garland's folks. So Merrick Garland, uh, to me, this is the goal, is to push the Justice Department to do something. And this is where my personal opinion comes in. We are trying to influence the Biden administration. We are trying to influence Merrick Garland. Stephen is a lawyer. Stephen did not give up state secrets. Stephen is not a football to be played in a geopolitical game. Stephen is, is a human being who has a family, who has already suffered incredible consequences of his courage in supporting other people and taking on one of the largest and most powerful countries in the world. So for those of you who want to put him out there as if he's some sort of football, and make him your new case to build your brand around, to call out the U.S. empire, that is not going to get him out of prison. That is not going to get Chevron to pay their bills. There are a lot of folks who have the interests in calling out the American empire, which we know exists. 
But if we want Stephen to be free, we need to get Merrick Garland. And this is coming from his words, his mouth. Merrick Garland needs to move. He needs to do something in the Justice Department. But, but putting him into some sort of geopolitical game as a football so that, you know, calling out the American empire, that is not going to move Joe Biden's administration and it is not going to move Merrick Garland. So if we want this man who has taken, who has been so courageous, we want to actually change the precedent. We want to hold people accountable. We have to understand who our audience is and how to move them. This is not Assange. That is an entirely different situation. Stephen is an attorney. And if this happens, if this can happen to Stephen, it can happen to those environmental lawyers, those law students who want to get involved in environmental law but are afraid to for their lives, as that one law student said. Because this is now going to be the precedent. So again, Merrick Garland, you can do something. You can make sure that we have some semblance of the law left in this country. We have a broken legal system, as we know very well. But if we, if lawyers can't be safe, then who's next? All right, we have a wonderful show today. We have Amy Valella on. Uh, she is running for Congress in Nevada. I'm so excited. We love Amy. Uh, she's going to talk about her race in Nevada and the sea change that's happening there. And then later on Fem Friday's panel, we have Francesca Fiorentini and Lauren Ashcraft on to discuss all the crazy news today. Thank you for joining us. I'll be right back after this break with a quick little plug, and then we will have Amy Valella. Clash momentarily for class solidarity. Cash circulating, give the masses back its currency. Greed from elites, oligarchs, stay fed, deep state, faith fed, everybody break bread. Racism, homophobia, sexism, religion in this melted body. Living time to build a new system, unionize labor rights. Highlight the issue, talking heads left is best. The saga continues, continues. The No Miki Show. The No Miki Show. We have learned a lot of lessons in the last few years as progressives in the progressive movement. We've learned how incredible it is when we see progressives win and what it takes to win. But we also have seen a lot from the losses and learned a lot of, of, of lessons from what happens when there's a narrow loss or when uh, endorsements don't come in early enough or uh, how a campaign should be structured and how you know progressive campaigns, working class campaigns are very different than the establishment campaigns and the entire methodology is different. So I'm excited because I'm part of this organization, as you know, called Matriarch and Amy Valella is one of our Matriarch candidates. Matriarch is hosting a training on January 29th, January 29th, a full day training for working class women who are thinking of running for office in 2022 or who are running for office in 2022. And spoiler alert, if you are interested in a matriarch endorsement, we urge you to go to this training. <laughs> and part of the reason is, if we can scroll down a little bit, you can have the training information up there. Um, part of the reason is that there are so many lessons to be learned over the past few years 
that we are ready to present and and make sure that everybody's race gets off on on the right foot that everything uh you know that 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 folks are able to become viable earlier uh that that candidates can go on to get major endorsements this is a big deal it's on january 29th it's a full day but most importantly we want to have as many women come to this training as possible as many as possible and and their staff and what will that take well we want to make sure that this training is free. You know, a lot of trainings are not free. A lot of trainings you have to fly or drive or caravan with folks and share hotel rooms and, you know, comes out of your campaign funds or your personal funds. We're doing this digitally. We're bringing in some of the most incredible uh, folks who have experience in the progressive movement from big lawyers to uh, to to major organizers. You know, we just found out that uh, Cori Bush's campaign manager is going to do a, a training. Cynthia Nixon's going to speak and she's going to talk about her personal experience running for office against Andrew Cuomo. Uh, it's going to be an incredible training. And out of that, there's a sisterhood. And of course, folks who are part of that sisterhood um, on the campaign teams. But we need to raise $30,000 to make this work. So very, very, very important. If you can contribute, whatever you can contribute today, it'll help us make sure that these tickets are free. The costs are there and that's what's paying. We're paying for the costs of the training. That is it. You know, these platforms aren't cheap anymore, unfortunately. Promoting uh, the training requires a little bit of money. And of course, just making sure that the training um, is, is available to as many candidates as possible that'll that'll it's going to cost thirty thousand dollars and whatever you can contribute will help us get there so go to we have the link on screen bit.ly slash train women um if you can and if you'd like to sign up for the training as well you can go to matriarchpack.com and uh sign up and if you know somebody who's amazing and wants to run for office or is you can nominate them right now for the endorsement speaking of incredible women one that has been endorsed by Matriarch. Uh, we have Amy Valella. She is one of the founding members of Matriarch. Look at that background. Amy, you look amazing. Man, the lighting, the background, everything. Amy Valella is, of course, running for Congress in Nevada. Uh, it's early in the morning there, Amy. Uh, it's Nevada's first district, although there's redistricting. So I guess before we get started, tell me what's going on with the district right now, because a lot of folks are very confused about the state of redistricting across the country, and, and you are on top of it. Yeah, so we did have redistricting in Nevada. Um, they did change the district I'm running in. Um, unfortunately, they did break up a lot of communities and also decrease the representation for um, the Latinx community in Nevada. Um, but we do have a district that is diverse, as diverse as Nevada, Nevada is. Um, and we do have a really strong pathway of victory going forward. Um, and we feel that this, this, uh, this race is definitely uh, winnable and we're hitting the ground already and knocking doors and looking forward to, to taking this all the way to Washington. Um, I will tell you that it has changed quite a bit. Um, the, half the district now is uh, new. To, the, to this district, so um, it loses some of the uh, incumbent, uh, you know, advantage in this district. Um, but we do still have a lot of work to reach the, these people and, and to let them know about the policies and platform that we're running on that will make a real change in the everyday person's life. So, Amy, um, before we get to your actual race and, and some of the issues you're running on, I, I just want to say, okay, Amy is one of the most extraordinary women I know on this planet. Um, she, no, I mean, I say this in, in, in all honesty, because, you know, some people run and they lose and then they go right back to what they were doing before, you know, 
uh, because they have to survive. And and Amy, you have a family. Your your husband's in the military, so there's a lot happening there. But you have decided to dedicate your work and your experience in in the financial sector as a CFO. Um, into supporting progressive movements and causes and candidates. And it's not easy. And you've really been able to help that infrastructure building that didn't really exist, you know, prior to Bernie, at least in a, in a more, uh, in, 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 in a robust way. Um, you've helped so many candidates get through some of the most complicated things that uh, a candidate has to go through and they're not aware of because, you know, when, when they say, oh, go run for office, nobody says, well, you know, you've, you got to like have an accountant and you have to raise money and, you know, all this stuff is really hard and the laws are really complicated and they're all designed to prohibit working people from being in office. And, and right. you, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm really impressed because it's not just that you're committed to this, but you're always available for consultation and you've supported so many other candidates pro bono, like at Matriarch, you always give uh, support to, to our candidates. And I think that that means a lot. So uh, why, why did you do that after you ran the first time? You know, I, I tell my daughter's story often. And the, the one part where I always talk about, you know, as my daughter was dying in my arms, um, the old Amy died with her. Um, I knew at that moment, I didn't know what was ahead of me. I didn't really, I couldn't have foretold what I was going to be entering into or the journey I was about to take. But I knew that I had seen evil. I had seen injustice and there was no way that I could go back to just going back to being a CFO, being in a cushiony, you know, executive job. And when I started really understanding um, the intersectionality of money and politics and, and corporate money and politics and understanding how this played a part in, in the death of my daughter and not just even her death, but the suffering on a mass scale in this country, I knew I had to do something. So after I ran in 2018, um, after that race, I knew that I there was things that were needed in the infrastructure for progressives to be able to win. And so I was going to use my talents to be able to help others, uh, other progressives get into office. And so I you know, started doing con uh, consultancy with uh, compliance, which is as sexy as that is. <laughs> it is so necessary. Um, and so I've, I've been doing uh, compliance work for, for many progressives and making sure that we can get them into office um, and that they, they have the uh, necessary backing and at an affordable price. Because, again, as progressives, we're not taking corporate money. So um, we have to make sure that we're able to, to give those services at an affordable rate. So that's really what got me started in going in and making sure that I support um, other women and people of color and making sure that we are uh, having an infrastructure that helps progressives get over the finish line. You ran in 2018. Um, I, many people have heard your story, but but if you're comfortable, uh, would you share again with the audience, maybe who didn't know in 2018, um, that you ran or, or what you ran on, but, but what inspired you to run in 2018? So, you know, my 22-year-old daughter, uh, Shalyn, was uh, was was a wonderful, wonderful daughter. She was funny and energetic and had many dreams. She was in school to become a nurse, and she decided to move back home in uh, 2015, back to Las Vegas, to complete her schooling. Um, when she arrived from the 22-hour drive, her leg was swollen and red, and she was telling me how much it hurt. Initially, we thought she had just, uh, you know, needed to stretch it out and, and move around, but it kept getting increasingly painful. 
And, uh, you know, I was on the way out of town for a business meeting and I got a call from her and she was telling me that it was just too painful. She needed to go be seen. So she went to a local ER. And once she arrived at the ER, they kept asking her for her insurance immediately. And Shalin replied that she did not have insurance. And so I got a phone call. They were asking me to call my insurance company and her insurance company. And I was like, listen, we'll take care of this when I get back. Mm. You know, we'll take care of the bill. Um, it's not a big deal. Just be seen, get the care you need. We can deal with this later. Um, I get another call from her and she's telling me, crying, mommy, they're not helping me. Mm. You know, my daughter was black with sickle cell trait. She uh, was uh, had an injured knee that uh, she had been seen for, but it was healing. And she had just driven 22 hours um, and was on birth control. These are all risk factors and the symptoms she displayed of a blood clot. And they told her when she asked for more um, screenings, uh, they told her to go get insurance and see a specialist. They were not a doctor's office. Wow. Um, she did that. She went and applied for insurance. Um, she was looking for places. I have, I have text messages from her from specialists trying to get in to be seen. Um, but because we did not know it was a blood clot, we did not know there was a risk of her flying. And she <sighs> took a flight back to, um, to Kansas City to finalize paperwork for schooling. And um, I had to do what no parent should have to do. I remember walking in that, in that emergency room after I got off the flight and um, seeing my daughter sitting there over-breathing her ventilator. And um, I knew when I saw her that uh, we probably weren't going to get her back. And, uh, you know, I held her as she took her last breath. And, uh, you know, no parent should have to do that. And, I, you know, we're, we're talking about it would have all it would taken to diagnose what was wrong with Shalin was a bedside ultrasound. Yeah. That is the extent of level of effort it would have taken was a bedside ultrasound, a little machine with a little probe that goes yeah. over the leg. And she would have had a prescription. By the time that, that she was out in, in Kansas City and dying, the blood clot went down, went from her ankle all the way up to her groin. Oh, my God. And, you know, when we talk about, you know, healthcare as a human right, I don't want to hear about access. I don't want to hear about affordability because everyone's level of access or their ability to pay is different. Healthcare is a human right, plain and simple. And if you're not for Medicare for all, then don't let those words come out of your mouth. Right. So you, um, this, 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 this awakens you in, in ways politically, at least, um, that you, you know, you channeled your, your mourning and your anger and your frustration and, and looked at the system and you decided to run. Um, well, and you know, before I decided to run, I mean, there was a point when they were telling me, Amy, you should run. I was like, what? How can someone like me from my background actually have what it takes to run for office, right? Who's going to listen to someone who's been a single mother, who's been divorced, who's been in poverty, who's been homeless? Like, wh wh where, what seat do I have at this table? And there's so many people that feel that way. But you know what? That's exactly what we need in Congress. We right. need people with those lived experiences in Congress that aren't going to settle for just what is what status quo. We don't need any more centrists in there who are just as comfortable and just willing to go along with it. We need fighters. People are going to go and work around the clock for the policies that we need so desperately um, and use everything at their disposal to, in order to advance those uh, in, in Congress. Because it takes a lot just to get it to the, to the floor, let alone to get it to pass. 
Exactly. You, um, I mean, speaking of your, uh, <laughs> folks may remember you from the movie Knock Down the House. You were one of the campaigns that was profiled in the Netflix documentary, um, along with, uh, of course, Congresswoman Cori Bush and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and uh, Paula Jean Swearingen, who was running in uh, for Senate in in, in um in against Joe Manchin, you know <laughs> that guy. So <laughs> I don't like to have his mouth, his words in my his name know, right? in my mouth anymore. I'm like done with him. The name um, spoken. <laughs> I mean, who knew how prophetic that documentary would be in so many ways? <laughs> uh, because not only did AOC win on um, the next cycle. Uh, Corey, who, who of course you're very good friends with, um, has one in, and she's really gone into con- Congress and shifted, you know, immediately shifted the focus and has been able to get the Biden administration to move on housing by staging a protest, um, an occupation of the Capitol steps, uh, which was, which was a brilliant move to, relay the information and urge fellow uh, lawmakers to do so. She, of course, immediately when she got into Congress, uh, the January 6th events occurred and she pushed back in a way that I I was really blown away by how little other congressional members, including Republicans who were at risk, uh, didn't push back against these these terrorists um, in Congress. So you know she's a very good friend of yours. You you you've got you got to know each other very well um, on your first campaigns, and of course you stay in touch. Has there been any advice that Congresswoman Bush has given you for this time around? Because she's also run many times. I mean, people don't understand the average time it takes for a woman to run and win is three times. I would bet it's actually more for a working class woman because that's that's like the old institutional standards, the standards of the establishment candidates. Right. So this is this is your second run, which congratulations, because like you're not, you know, they try to scare you off. I mean, every they do this, all these candidates, they try to scare folks off. They have all these weapons in their toolkit. Um, What kind of advice has has Congresswoman Bush given you about this time, you know, for this campaign? Oh, man, there's a lot of advice, (laughs) (laughs) you know, stuff that you could say out loud. Yeah. So, you know, I think the number one thing that that we've talked about a lot is keeping focus. You know, we have to ignore the noise that's going to be around. You can't win. There's no chance that she can win. You know, all the the infighting and the people coming at you and the constant criticisms and and all of those things is to keep focused on the the, the end goal, right? Um, She actually told me to run like I have a nosebleed. Oh, wow. No, when you have a nosebleed, you know, you're putting your head back and you're putting your fingers on your nose and you're just looking for that door to that bathroom, right? Mm -hmm. You don't see anything else going on around you. You are just on point going straight for that bathroom door. And that's what she said. You have to run with that intention. And yeah, I saw that with her race as well. I mean, we're talking up till July, you know, everyone's saying you can't win, can't win, uh, 20 points behind. But, you know, it's it's that intention and that that whole entire drive that we have, especially people who have a why, like Corey, like myself, like others, that is that lived experience that you know why you need to be in office. You know what is at stake. I know what is at stake. I know that people's lives literally are at stake if we don't get more fighters into office. If we don't get more progressives in the office to continue to push that agenda and to push the centrist to continue to go to the left and towards policies that really will bring change to the working class Americans, then we are then we are we are really putting people's lives at risk, people suffering, people having to decide, you know, not having housing. We have an entire immigration community, immigrant community who is right now waiting on pins and needles to try to find a way for a pathway to citizenship. 
Uh, we have people who are, you know, afraid to go out. They're afraid for their children because of the racism that exists and the police brutality. There are so many things that we have to address and we need people who are going to be bold in Congress to actually go and push for that agenda. And we can see how successful progressives have been at pushing for the legislation, even where we're at right now and keeping pushing to get the legislation that we've gotten so far. I'm, I'm looking at your site. It's, first off, the site is beautiful. If I can, if I can share that, it's very, um, you know, it's hard when you're putting a platform together. It's a lot of reading, but the way that you guys have, have just, uh, it's visually very <laughs> uh, great. But I mean, the issues as you're seeing here um, are the issues that most Americans are facing on a day to day basis. And, and um, I, you know, I want to know a little bit more about the race itself. Who are you running against? What does this member represent? And, and, and can you frame that kind of in relationship with the changes that have happened in Nevada in the last few years, especially since Harry Reid, of course, uh, left the Senate and, and how he impacted all of Nevada politics because he was notorious for that? Yeah. <laughs> so my opponent is Dina Titus. She's been in office for about a decade. Um, she has been a very um, complacent politician. She's been comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, she differs from me in that I am supporting things like a Green New Deal. I am supporting progressive policies. She's not a member of the Progressive Caucus. Um, I am supporting the bold legislation. Um, you know, she's been in office for that long, but yet she's only passed one bill. Whoa. So we have someone that has been in office, but has been, you know, pretty much going along with the status quo. And there is a real enthusiasm gap in this district, um, when it was the strongest D district in, in Nevada, it had the lowest Democratic turnout, you know, time after time after time, even lower than our Republican seat. And so we are this seat right now. We're at real risk of her losing at this in this district right now because of that enthusiasm gap mm -hmm. and because there's no motivation and, and engagement within the community to get the votes out. Um, people really need a reason to vote. Right. And we've seen, you know, Nevada has gone progressively um, more progressive over the since even since my race, we saw with the landslide victory for Bernie Sanders in 2020. You know, I was serving as his uh, Nevada state co-chair. Um, we saw that 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 landslide victory, and we knew that you know this is this tides are changing in Nevada. Um, and then after that, we saw that the party was taken over um, by a, a, a progressive slate. Um, people are ready for this change in Nevada. And so we have to be going out and reaching out to the community and making sure they know there is a reason to vote. Um, they want someone who's going to be actively fighting for these issues and willing to be bold in Congress. Healthcare is such a big part of your platform and your personal story. Uh, and, and of course, it was a huge, it was a central piece of Bernie Sanders' campaign and the national nurses. Um, and then you were, were, were major advocates and organizers across the country, making sure it was front and center because, you know, there are many unions that do not support Medicare for all. I, I, I don't think that many of the union members agree, but, you know, there's, there's always some political stuff that's happening, you know, negotiation. Um, how do you see when you get into Congress, what is the pathway to Medicare for all? Because some folks think you could just go in there and like force it, uh, but that could eventually stall it by, by pushing. I mean, you have to be very strategic. This is the outsiders have to push and do what they can with respect, obviously not try with character assassination, uh, but for activism. Yes. 100%. Yes. 
But on the inside, you know, if you're elected, what is the pathway? How do you get to that that point? You know, I've been organizing for Medicare for all um, for for years now. I've held so many rallies. I can't even remember how many I have done it, not only in the state of Nevada, but across the country. I successfully, you know, uh, lobbied two Nevadan congressional members uh, to support Medicare for all. Um, So I am definitely in this fight. I mean, but it comes again, knowing that that lived experience is what we need in Congress. I'm going to fight for Medicare for all like I have fought for my daughter. That passion, there will be no one, I can guarantee it, no one as passionate about me as Medicare for all as I am in Congress. And we can see how, like with Cori Bush, she has really brought to the front housing and racial justice, right? This is the passion and the drive that she has. And she is constantly talking about it. And everything that she's doing, she's constantly messaging, she's talking, she's pushing, she's out in the community, she's doing interviews, she's in the newspaper, right? We need that same kind of passion from all of us, you know, different, we all have different things that we excel in, right? We need a Medicare for all advocate who's in there, who is going to have that kind of passion around the clock. I will never stop talking about the need for health care justice and to need for getting Medicare for all and driving for that. And that's what we're going to need. We're going to need to keep on bringing national attention and pressure constantly. And we need to have somebody who's going to help also organize nationwide. That's the piece that's missing. We have to organize and keep pushing nationwide in every district. It's not just with people who are in Congress. We need this. We need organizing outside as well in every district, right? Going there, having rallies, getting out there, you know, going and telling them this is what we are demanding. That is where we need to get the the, the drive for Medicare for all to get to so that we can get this to where we have the power then then to go in and and push for it in in, uh, Congress. We also need more members in Congress to push, to join the progressives. That's something that, you know, it, we cannot talk about passing and, and pushing on these unless we have more power. And all of us have different personalities. So, you know, all of us are going to go in there at a different angle. We need to be able to to join them together to make sure that we are pushing as a unit to get this to to pass. And it's, it's interesting you say that because this is organizing principles always about coalition building. It is not about you know, beating each other up for not doing something the right way. It's about how do we expand the coalition, even with folks that we may not agree with on on all issues, but we need the votes. We need the votes. So, you know, there are levers that you can, in machinations, obviously in Congress, that sometimes, you know, it it, it might come with a greater deal of, of something else, but, or compromise. But if you want the votes to get it passed in Congress, and of course, in the Senate, because there are all these co-sponsors in the Senate who supposedly believe in Medicare for all, but when it gets to the Senate, well, that's when you're going to need the pressure, the outside pressure even more so. Um, Amy, I'm I'm so encouraged by your campaign. Uh, this is this is like one of the the major hopes for for next year is getting you elected. And uh, for folks who want to support, uh, volunteer, donate, of course, contrib- contributions. It's a big part of the show today because. I don't think people understand it is not as easy to raise money this time as it was last time. No. You know, you you don't have a the presidential stuff is is not on the horizon. Uh, you don't have the same mechanisms in place. There have been a lot of crackdowns um, with technology. I don't know if people really are aware. It's harder to get the word out. There's fatigue. So if you care about these issues, if you really want Congress to move, 
Now is the time to contribute whatever you have. I know the economy has been tough and it's the holidays, but these are the moments that matter. And Amy has a pathway to victory. She's an extraordinarily viable candidate. She has a lot of energy. She has the experience. And obviously, she's just like an amazing person, as you're seeing. Um, so please, please contribute. But what else can folks do? What are you asking for right now? Well, right now is not the time to tire. Um, yeah. They want us to be good tired. They want us to infight. They want us to argue about everything. They want to destroy this movement. We cannot tire out. Listen, I know everybody, you know, feels in a moment that, you know, it's just fighting this again. But listen, this isn't the time to tire out. This campaign is definitely winnable. It's a very important campaign. We need to have that support in Washington, D.C. And really, the most important thing people can do right now is donate to the campaign. Early money in a campaign actually helps the momentum drive it to the end. And we've got a lot of ground to cover. We've already been knocking hundreds and hundreds of doors, um, but we've got to increase that coverage on the ground. We've got to be able to go out there and meet people where they're at. We've got to be able to get out you know, our pamphlets and make sure that people are getting there. And this takes, this takes money. So definitely, if you're able to, um, you know, please donate to our campaign, help us join, join the team, man. We're ready to take this on. We're ready to take this to Washington, D.C. We just need to have the support of the community. And it's so important. Um, you know, please, you know, donate. You can go to amyvalella.org. Um, we could really use the support. Um, we definitely, you know, have a very strong campaign and we're ready to take this, you know, like, like I said, to D.C., and she, you know, this is a this is a union heavy town. It's obviously Vegas. Uh, it's it's an amazing town to organize in. Um, a lot of a lot of diversity, as you said, not as much as last time because they've gerrymandered it. But with that being said, there's an incredible opportunity here to make the case for working people through Amy Villela's campaign. So um, we're so excited. When's the primary? So it's in June, and uh, so we have we still have a good amount of time to get out there. Um, you know, and definitely if you ever want to come out, you know, to Vegas, a good reason to come out would be to knock some doors with us. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm there. I'm going to do it. And next year, primary season, we're going on tour. It is going to be, I haven't, I haven't dropped this on everybody yet, but because we have so many incredible candidates for matriarch, we will have so many incredible candidates. I am ready to like hit the road, get in a van, yeah. do the show on the road and make yeah. the case because now is like you said, not as now is not the time to tire. So no, it's um, not. Amy, best of luck. Go hit the phones. We're taking up too much of your time. Time is the most important resource in a campaign. It's the first thing you learn in campaign school. I've already given a little bit out to the public. What is the most important resource? The candidate's time. Go hit yes. the phones. <laughs> <laughs> or else I'm going to get yelled at by your staff. <laughs> Take care, Amy. All right. We will be right back with our incredible panel to talk about all the craziness that's happening right now. Don't give up. Yeah. Clash momentarily for class solidarity. Cash circulating, give the masses back its currency. Greed from elites, oligarchs, stay fed, deep state, faith fed. Everybody break bread. Racism, homophobia, sexism, religion in this melted pot. We live in time to build a new system. Unionize labor rights. Highlight the issue. Talking heads left is best. The saga continues. Continues. The No Miki Show. The No Miki Show. The No Miki Show. The No Miki Show.
guys know I adore Sunset Lake CBD. I was not a CBD fan uh, because of a horrible experience I had buying Bodega CBD for well over $100 because I was told it would help me with my migraines. I get migraines. I had one just the other day. But then Sam Cedar yelled at me. No, he didn't yell at me. He just said, well, you know, Sunset Lake CBD is actually really good. And he is uh, not someone to BS. I don't know if Sam has ever told a lie, at least intentionally. Uh, so I, of course, was like, all right, all right, I'll try it. I'll try it. And then I did. Sunset Lake CBD is a farmer-owned company, a farmer-owned company that is unique in this monopoly world that we live in. And they ship their craft CBD from Vermont, from their farm in Vermont, directly from their farm to your door. They have all types of different products, tinctures, creams, salves, uh, little joints, CBD joints. That's what helps me with my migraines. Uh, tinctures help me sleep at night. And now they have one with melatonin in it too. So it helps me go to sleep and then stay asleep, which is the CBD helps you stay asleep and the the, the melatonin helps you go to sleep. Because I'm, you know, I drink too much coffee during the day. So I need that extra boost. Uh, they're an incredible company. They actually turned a Ben and Jerry's farm, those progressives, they turned it into a hemp farm. They diversified there. And, uh, and on top of all that, when you support them, you are supporting and enhancing a rural community and creating meaningful employment in that community. Their minimum wage is $15 an hour. Take that, Kirsten Cinema, And the employees enjoy, own the majority of their company. On top of all that, they're really cool people that support independent media like our show and the Majority Report and the David Pakman show. So like how much better could they get? Um, they have all types of different products. They have CBD dog biscuits, which help chill your dog out a little bit. I know I have issues with my dog, especially post-COVID. He doesn't like to be alone anymore. Uh, you know, we, he was, I'm sorry, he was, he was with us pretty much during the lockdown and then we started leaving and he had a lot of anxiety and he hasn't gotten away. But the CBD helps. It helps a lot. Right now, you have the opportunity to get 20% off of the entire order that you make at Sunset Lake CBD by going to sunsetlakecbd.com, typing in the promo code NOMI, N-O-M-I, and you get 20% off of your order. Sunsetlakecbd.com, put in NOMI, N-O-M-I, and you will get 20% off of your entire order. And I'm urging you, if you have sleep issues, definitely try that melatonin CBD oil, uh, CBD uh, oil infused uh, tincture because it really helps me go to sleep. It's like changed my life. I wake up fresh. My mom's using it now. Like I've, I've got everybody on on Sunset Lake. It's it's like a whole family affair now. Like I could probably do a multi level level marketing thing if I wanted to, like a spinoff. But no, really, it's making a huge difference. And I I wouldn't endorse a product if I didn't believe in it. All right, go check it out. SunsetLakeCBD.com. Type in Nomi and you get twenty percent off of your order.
Friday. It's my favorite day because I get to shove feminism down your throats, bros. That's how this works. <laughs> I wish that was not a joke. Um, hi. All right. So we have an amazing panel today. We have the one and only Francesca Fiorentini, who is coming to us very early in the morning from the city of angels. It is so early there. Uh, she is the host of I the mean, situation room. It's pretty it's early. It's 9.15. I mean. Like, give me more credit. You're a comedian, Although, though. Don't you do, like, things till 4? Our, like, sets start at 1 a.m.? That's true. Very true. I do have a show starts tonight at, like, 11.15, and I'm like, God damn it. Why? It'll It'll be great. Anyway, hi. Thanks for having uh, me. David, What's up? has MME. Just want you to know I want to make it very <laughs> – like, femme fatale. You know, you got to teach the guys everything. Teach them how to spell femme. Yeah. Like, la femme Nikita. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> And then we have our other favorite femme comedian, Lauren Ashcraft. She is the host of Biting Commentary, where she eats some food and talks some politics. And it's like, it's basically my life when I'm not on camera, <laughs> which I love. I also bite people sometimes. Um, all right. No, you don't have to fix it in post, David. I like calling you out on camera. That's that's part of this. That's why people like us. We are not professional. We can fix her things on screen. All right. I want to start off with the news of the week. I mean, this is, as someone who has frequented this uh, this block many a times, who's seen the beautiful Christmas, specifically Christmas decorations, even if it's a menorah, it is still Christmas. When you enter that building, it is Christmas. And if you do not believe in Christmas, you are you, you have to leave. Of course, I'm talking about Fox News. Um, they have a giant holiday, like that whole area is just like full of holiday decorations. And of course, we all saw the video of the Christmas tree lit on fire. Never let a good crisis go to waste, as Rahm Emanuel once said. And Fox News is really not caring about any other issues right now. And as a result, we're <laughs> going to do the same thing. Um, let's play this clip of Fox News really obsessed with this. <laughs> that you don't see the crime unless you're watching Fox News covered on mainstream media until so something something <laughs> popular yeah. or a Christmas tree yeah. is burned down in front of Fox News. The mayor of New York City right. held a press conference yesterday and did not mention the burning of the Fox <laughs> of Christmas not. tree. Didn't even mention it. <laughs> no. Nothing there. Uh, you know, I... Oh my God. I'm How like... dare he? <laughs> well, he's in Ghana. Let's, let's pause it for a second. <laughs> that that's even better. I think the Ghanaian people need to. I believe it's Ghanaian need to need to hear about the Fox News tree <laughs> first and foremost. What is he doing in Ghana? He's looking for his next crypto deal. Uh, no, that makes sense. <laughs> I'm kidding. Of course, we're talking about mayor elect, and they also called him the mayor. Wait, are we? Are they going after? Eric yeah, Adams? I was like, who are we talking about? Yeah. Hey, it's this weird moment. I mean, of course they're going to go after de Blasio. It's always de Blasio's fault. Yeah, of course. Um, no, I think that uh, Varney has another agenda. He's not necessarily... I mean, the fact that he has a, a person of color on his show is remarkable uh, for Stuart Varney. But Stuart Varney, I think, has an agenda that, that he's going to start with next year when uh, Eric Adams, a former police office, officer and lieutenant... Um, "Quote unquote reformer, crypto advocate, so many things. He's he does. He's a vegan. He lives in New Jersey. Who knew you could do that? Uh, there's just a whole lot of stuff that that Eric Adams has on his plate. But I am actually surprised that he has not talked about the Christmas tree, not be, not for the same reasons, mainly. 
because <laughs> it is an opportunity to talk about crime, which he seems obsessed with. Oh, um, God. You're just it, this does feel like a sneak peek of all the like BS, like coded but not coded racist critiques that Eric Adams is going to receive. Every single piece amount of crime is going to be blamed on him. And yet. So then you have to defend him from the the right wing attacks while also being like, no, you're a neoliberal former cop and you don't have enough plans for like actually transforming New York to be safe, you know, actually safe. Um, anyway, that's a fun little I just saw into the future a bit Whoa, like going. the ghost Let's of Christmas future. Ghost of Christmas future. War on Christmas future. Come on, get it right. Hashtag war <laughs> on Christmas future. Um, I mean, Lauren, you're a New Yorker. How bad is the crime? Have you left I mean, your home today? I mean, I'm scared. I have some Christmas decorations in my window, and I'm scared that Eric Adams will personally set them on fire. Yep. Oh, Eric Adams will. Yes. And then, is he going to? I I know this is a little too far, but is he going to Jesse Small at this and and blame it on? Can we say that now? I think that that. Fox News is Jesse Smollett-ing the entire Christmas tree burning. And it remind it's like it's it's so funny because it's the way that Ted Cruz responds on Twitter to like anyone who dunks on him or him sort of like owning himself without realizing it. And then he just keeps doubling and doubling and tripling and quadrupling down on something that clearly makes him look like an idiot. That's what this is. It's like, yeah, man, someone set your dumb tree on fire, and now you making a big deal of it makes it even funnier uh, it keeps going um but it's also like i'm i'm like oh i'm so obsessed with succession and it's this is such a scene out of succession right like what huh they burn the tree fuck <laughs> off oh you know like that totally happens roman roy's gotta like go out and give a speech when they like erect a new tree <laughs> no but you know this is it's I, to go back to the Jesse Smollett point, because I, I, I we had a little break and I was watching the news and eating breakfast. That's what you do in the middle of a show. <laughs> you just go sure. to We've actually never done that before. And it was nice. It was nice to take a little pause. Um, but they were talking about the Jesse Smollett trial. And, you know, I'm no expert on the trial or the case, but it's it seems to me like what he did is no different than what Roger Stone has been doing his entire career. He has been creating... <laughs> multiple scenarios in which someone's the victim or creates a fake situation or or that idiot who did go to jail. I mean, both have gone to jail now. That idiot um, from Project Veritas. I mean, all of Project yeah. Veritas is the Jesse Smollett. Like, why is Jesse Smollett a black man, a gay man, the one who is now the poster child for this and not Roger Stone, the entire Republican Party, and, um, of course, Project Veritas? Why? Lauren, what do you think? Uh, I, I just, the entire justice system in general, we just see people of color being, uh, treated much differently than rich old white guys. So I think that's pretty much, yeah, it's, that's pretty <laughs> much the rule. What is the color of your skin that will determine how you're punished? That seems about, I mean, can we, we have to codify that at least. So people know now. Might clearly. as well make it constitutional. Yeah. Yep. Um, also, like, I kind of, like, Elizabeth, the Elizabeth Holmes trial is going on right now. I feel like we might have talked about her previously. I'm not going to, like, stand her just because she's, like, a woman in tech, you know, or a woman in STEM. But, like, a little bit. I do feel like if she gets the book thrown at her while, like, tech giants run by, you know, billionaire bros uh, just get off with doing whatever they want time and time again. It's like... No, man. No, let's not do that. But you know they're going to hang her out to dry and it's, she's going to be made an example of. And uh, I think that's wrong. 
Um, and uh, maybe I will hold a sign with Elizabeth Holmes and I'll just wear a turtleneck in her honor. Um, <laughs> we can do it together. We can do an entire show honoring Elizabeth Holmes. I, I, yeah. I read the book. I, I, I completely feel you. I was reading the book a couple of years ago when it came out. Um, I forgot the guy's name is. Uh, about her her situation. It was a guy from the Wall Street Journal who covered the case extensively, um, covered everything, the rise and the fall, and then wrote a book about it. And halfway through, I remember being on the plane and I had such emotions and I didn't I couldn't understand it because exactly what you said. It was she's she's a tech giant. She clearly did not know what she was doing and it had implications potentially on people's lives. Um there was a lot of bullshitting happening behind the scenes. But how is that different from any other tech giant who also maybe not as directly, but can have implications on people's lives. A lot of this technology, whether it's suicide uh, through social media or or what we're seeing with teens now and and uh, body dysmorphia and a lot of issues mm -hmm. there, or, or much much worse, fascism. I mean, like come on, authoritarian like regimes. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Tax havens. I mean, it. it yeah, she. It was more direct. She got caught. It was a smaller con. But I feel like when men have done this before, they kind of fall upwards. And we'll see. Maybe she lands on her feet. Maybe she uh, joins Meta. I feel like Zuckerberg could use the help. <laughs> oh, oh, I was like, what's Meta? Right. <laughs> You're right. It, uh, honestly, the renaming of Facebook or whatever that entity is <laughs> makes me so mad because it's an even stupider name. Yes. And again, that's like falling upwards as a white guy just – Whatever you do, you're you've been dancing around the gray area of legality for so long that you decided to rebrand to yep. Meta. That's it. I mean, Madonna can do it, so why can't you know Zuckerberg or whatever his name? Is? <laughs> Jeff Zucker. Jeff I Zucker think my too. my <laughs> my fem solidarity. It's Fem Friday. It 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 ends at Elizabeth Holmes. Or no, it it yeah, it's sort of the tail end of Elizabeth Holmes, and definitely doesn't extend to Jelaine Maxwell. Let's be real, all right? Yeah, that yeah. is hard. She line. is a sociopath, and that is yeah, hard line. Um, uh, no, no, forget forever, forever. I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know if she'll have the same, you know, access to faking her own death as well. I'm just kidding. Um, it's it's Christmas. We shouldn't talk about these things. <laughs> but uh, yeah. <laughs> What? I can't hold back for 15 days. It's not Christmas yet. <laughs> That's true. That trials is true. Trials going on until trials over. What was I hope her Christmas tree burns. That's a good, that's a safe, bad thing to put on somebody. It's like, we're witches. We can, you know, yeah. good witch and bad witch. I mean, we have to own the fact that we are complicated humans who can have complicated emotions about bad people. Yes, nuance. That's where that's where the internet goes wrong all the time. It's like, what? You're a woman and you don't love every single woman? And it's like, no. Ghislaine Maxwell like sold children into sex slavery. Yeah. Not a big fan. No. Clearly a traumatized woman who had a very rough childhood. And I have empathy for how she blossomed into this gem of a human that she was. But – or is, I guess. Blossomed. I, I love that. <laughs> I mean, did you? I'm so happy we we're talking about this. It wasn't even on a rundown. But did you guys the the art the thing that she was doing in the court where she was? Oh yeah, what, that she was depicting the actual court stenographer. What is that? So there, yeah, there's a court drawing of her, and she is drawing the court drawer illustrator. Stenographer is the typer. Stenographer is the person who writes write stuff down. Uh, the courtroom sketch artist. And it is the most frightening 
cartoon. I'm gonna calling it a cartoon to make it less frightening <laughs> than I've ever seen in my Sorry, life. Artist. <laughs> like, can you imagine what the artist is doing? <laughs> yes. Talk about I like want to all the steel. Yeah. Like that person was just sitting there, like. <laughs> I want a stenographer to steno to an artist to do that. That's Meta Zuckerberg. Okay, that exactly. That's, That's so it. true. Ghislaine is going to go work for Meta because what she did was Meta. Uh, <laughs> it's all going to happen. Uh, yeah, I mean, here's here's also what it. My, here's the last thing I'll say on you know solidarity. Are are women just as bad as men? Blah blah. blah. Stop saying Margaret Thatcher to me. Like, oh just, uh, just stop saying it. Like, every time we're, like, rich white men, blah, blah, blah. And, I, you know, and you get fragile when people say men. Um, just own it. Understand that. And don't retort. Well, Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, that's one. What? You got one. Hillary Clinton, not on the same level. Madeleine Albright, also not on the same level. But, like, who else? Come on. Okay, now you got Ghislaine. You got two now. I'll wait because <laughs> you're you're really not stacking these these creepos up like men are stacking on top of each other. Well, you have to go back to like you have to go back to like Lucretia Borgia to get like the fifth one. <laughs> <laughs> it, like we need to a running count on the show, like yeah. bad women, horrible men, <laughs> sociopathic women, sociopathic men. Yeah. Yep. Well, and and, and like you know the greater education here for the men that are watching and please share it with your other male comrades out there. And I say comrades because this is a thing on the left. There's the system. There's the power structures. If our power structures are determined and written and run by male energy testosterone, you're going to have to be accommodating to that. So if you are one of five women in a in a lawmaking body that has 100 men, you're going to be forced to operate within those conditions. And yeah. sometimes, especially in different eras where, you know, different rules applied, you know, there are tough choices. And so you end up like a Margaret Thatcher. But say in the, the situation of now we have a city council that is um, majority is women, are, is made up of our city council in New York City is majority um, held by women now. Some mm -hmm. are conservative. But what I think is going to be fascinating is, especially if there's a female speaker, which there better be, uh, your the, the 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 modus operandi is going to shift. It is just going to be a different way of doing business, and mm -hmm. I think it'll actually push the men to, uh, hopefully, especially if they're progressive, to deal in a different way. And and I I really hope that it turns out that way. And that's why you need more women in office. I want on that note. Let's just um, I do want to talk about uh, the situation in Finland. Because here's an area where we can get into nuance. Have you heard about uh, the the leader of Finland? Do you guys know about this? Do we have this in our rundown? Is it up there? I don't know if we have it up there. David, um, it's in the Slack. I'm sorry. I thought this was up there in the rundown too. Okay. Well, the leader of Finland uh, was in a little bit of hot water over the fact that she, a 36-year-old, although I don't think that matters, um, mm -hmm. Was out at a nightclub and did not bring her work cell phone, and they were trying to reach her, and then they found out oh, she was out until four a.m. dancing. <laughs> Get it, girl? Yeah. <laughs> like, have you guys heard of the bunga bunga parties in Italy? Like bunga, bunga what are they called? Bunga bunga. Yeah, bunga. So not COVID safe. Yeah. So really. not COVID safe. Mm. Just so much authoritarian droplets <laughs> interchanging with other authoritarian <laughs> droplets. Yep. <laughs> 
Oh God. No, it's so funny because there's a once in a while, and I'm not gonna, you know, name countries, but it usually comes out of the UK, even though I know this was Finland, but let's be real, it's probably a UK tabloid. There's always you always get like a headline from like like 75, like 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 years ago, where I was like, oh young lady out partying, you know, and you're like, what the f like what are we? Where are we? What 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 year is this? Yeah, man, she missed a text message. Sorry, maybe you should go there and tell her. I don't know. Like, it, it, it's, it's not that big of a deal. And yeah, girl, live your life, man. Like, I don't, I'm not even going out clubbing and I'm vaccinated. Like, my, that's sad. That's sad. That's, but that, that's the story. <laughs> this woman, 38-year-old woman, won't even go out dancing, even though she's double vaxxed, maybe uh, soon to be triple. Like, you know, put that on a headline. Exactly. I mean, Lauren, this this reminds me, just to go back to Eric Adams, because Eric Adams, our mayor-elect, is making, he's the new nightclub mayor. That is what he is billing him. I'm like, income inequality, all this stuff is happening, housing crisis, and he's like, New York is back, because I'm at that bond, what is that place called? That 31 bond, 37 bond? It's some like really hard to get into membership-only nightclub that he goes to regularly. Yeah, because I want an article about him every time he goes to anything and has some fun. And I want the question to be asked of whether it's possible he's still able to do his job. Yeah. Also, Let's... he has children or a child. Is yeah. he able to be a mayor? I don't know. Yeah. Who's at what home about taking his... care of them? Yeah, I think they're adults. But like, who's going to be there to give them <laughs> advice? <laughs> Let's keep it going. What else? Can we <laughs> so does this mean he's like getting rid of those cabaret laws in New York or is that not on the table? I think the cabaret laws are out. Um, they This happened a couple of years ago, if I believe. Oh, I haven't been. Oh, God. I clearly, yeah, I haven't lived in New York for a long time. Where it's like, no dancing. This is a bar. How dare you? And we were never, like, what? There's always enforced, guys. <laughs> yeah. Always. There was, you know, the dance police. Ma'am, you're, nope. you're gyrating too much. You're supposed to just sit there very still. Just wear a mask. That's all we ask you. You can dance. <laughs> just do it with your mouth covered at all times. What I really want to know about the fi Finnish prime minister is, uh, was, she, was she gyrating? Was she, mm. was she standing there still whilst drinking? How does she club in nightclubs? I think yeah. it's really yeah. cool, and I would just like to follow suit. Um, we should do a special investigation. Actually, let's open up the crowdfunding right now. David, can we get a link in the next three minutes? Um, the three of us are on a special investigative trip, if we can get there out of this country, uh, to Finland to interview her and maybe shadow her and just say, like, how do you do it all? Who knew women could have it all running a government? <laughs> I think it's yeah, it's is dope as hell, man. Like I definitely want to party with her, and, and it's it's such a funny, ironic way to find out that Finland's prime minister is a woman, a young woman. I know. And you're like, oh, cool. Oh, oh, you're gonna you're shaming her for going out. Uh huh. Got it. Makes sense. But yet, yeah, count us in. We're there. Yep. We got your back, girl. Just yeah. Get, we got to get a few more boosters. I'll just take them all in. I think it's a little easier in Europe to get more and more boosters. So we'll just. We'll stock up. We'll be ready. We'll, we'll wear the masks. And uh, and David, you can come along if you want. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm, I'm going to write her name in. <laughs> I'm going to write her name in the next time we uh, have a federal election for president if Donald Trump doesn't run. 
thinking. You know, she did defeat a bunch <laughs> of fascists, by the way. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. See? There's a there's a rise of the right in Finland and there's, you know, you, I, I don't know if you guys remember all the, the shootings that happened there. Um, so this is pretty powerful. A, a left woman, she's center left, but she's to us, she's like further left than Bernie Sanders. So sounds great. Mm -hmm. Uh, David breaking news. It is the link is war on Finland clubbing.com. Amazing. Throw in five bucks. We'll, we'll get there within two years. <laughs> okay. We're going. All right. And other really, really important news. I swear to God, there's other news. I just needed to talk about this with you. So <laughs> the New York times, you know, the, the most important publication in this country, uh, has decided to not, again, we start off with Steven Donziger has not done one story on Steven Donziger, uh, unprecedented case. Right. But they're really obsessed with the fact that there is a, uh, a movement by Gen Z, I don't, I don't know what that means. I guess they're a club now, saying that birds aren't real. Of course, uh, they had to note it's a parody social movement with a purpose. Its creators say <laughs> it's actually kind of brilliant. I'm not going to lie. I want to know where this money is coming from. I need to understand how this was all, this all came about. But it's, it's of course to <laughs> challenge the QAnon community, which believes that JFK might be. I'm sorry. It says birds charge on power lines on that van. <laughs> like I, I just like the awesome. single lies on the on the door. Oh there yeah. lies. Lies. <laughs> birds charge on power lines. Fucking hilarious. I was like I forgot if I could swear or not. I mean I'm mad that like I didn't think of this <laughs> first. Cause this is wonderful. I, look, I'm. I, they should have done it. Like New York Times editorial decisions aside, this this movement is actually really funny, and I love it. I love anything that's trolling how toxic and bizarre our internet and outrage culture and our conspiracy culture is. So, I, I saw some people who were like, "Oh, but what if folks fall for it?" Like, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, let them do it. I want to see that meeting. It's a better it's a better use of their time than trying to prove that vaccines don't stop a virus. I'd rather them like be chasing birds around and calling them liars. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like if you can get in, you know, th the way that these movements are structured is they hook you in where you are and then they lead you. Their goal is to lead you down this like JFK Jr is actually running for president or something. I don't even know what's going on. Are with they that. still there by the way? I think they are. Yeah. In w in Dallas, right? My, do my, they do they yeah. like the Kennedys? What is that? <laughs> I really don't know the um the whole loop, but dear friend of the show and 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 friend Jason Selvig has a shirt in in his latest Instagram post where <laughs> it's like checkmate Biden JFK Jr. twenty twenty four. No, but this this is really cool because this is um the story behind it is. Uh, Peter McIndoe, he's 23. The, the New York Times describes him as a floppy-haired college dropout. You got to mention that in Memphis, who created Birds Aren't Real on a whim in 2017. Uh, he stayed in character as the conspiracy theorists uh, theories chief believer, and uh, they would protest outside of Twitter's headquarters in San Francisco. <laughs> that's that's the most productive thing a 19-year-old has ever done. I think like, it's incredible. Yeah. No, and 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 I think like if you mirror that up against just to go back to the Jelaine Maxwell, all these like accounts that were monitoring the um 
the 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 courtroom, like what was happening in the courtroom, because of course it's not being filmed, they were suspended. And they, these weren't even like they weren't even sharing opinions. They were just like, here's the information from the trial. This person said this. What? They were the courts not they've been suspended, yet these crazy QAnon accounts and Kim Iverson has a verified, I mean, she's an actual conspiracy theorist that is on a platform now with the blue check mark, but our dear friend David Dole isn't, you know, verified and he has like, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of, of, of blue check marks are overrated, you know, and especially if you have a blue check mark and you have like an opinion about anything, everyone's yeah. like, oh, you have a blue check mark. You're like, I don't look, I don't want to be here anyway, bro. Yeah. I have to now. <laughs> No, but I mean, the point is, is that, that like that's where Twitter's, you know, prioritizing oh, sure. folks right now. I don't know. All right. Um, let's do As some a blue check mark, I will say Please. they're overrated. 100%. I, I definitely can filter people out. That's the one thing I like is, you know, you can filter out some of the nasty mentions. Oh, All right. Good. So uh, Dan Crenshaw, the Republican, you know, he's really uh, – standing out as a moral compass for the Republican Party because he believes that the Freedom Caucus members are performance artists. Artists. This is the guy, by the way, who um, – I don't know if you've seen his campaign videos. They're like superhero uh, ads. Like literally, they're like – they cost like $2 million to produce. All right, let's play this clip. Yes, it's, it's an institution that governs for the American people, but it's also a workplace that has to have rules, which is why this is interesting. This is Dan Crenshaw. Uh, a relatively new conservative member of the House of Representatives doesn't get all the attention uh, that a Lauren Boebert gets or that a, an older member like a Paul Gosar gets. Dan Crenshaw says um, this is probably why. There's two types of members of Congress. There's performance artists and there's legislators. Now, the performance artists are the ones that get all the attention. They're the ones you think are more conservative because they know how to say slogans real well. Uh, he's absolutely right. He's absolutely right in the sense he made a point at the same event that Adam Kinzinger, uh, who is, you know, viewed as a pariah by Trump world, actually voted with Trump more than a lot of members of, of these, you know, the Matt Gaetzes and the Lauren Boeberts of the world. But to Dan Crenshaw's point, Lauren Boebert knows the progressives are mad at her. Lauren Boebert knows she said racist and Islamophobic things. Lauren Boebert, you would think normally you take a low profile. Nope. Lauren Boebert uh, puts out this picture of her and kids with their weapons uh, essentially following another Republican congressman, uh, Massey, who did the same thing. Uh, confrontation is her business. Controversy is her game. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the Republican Party right now. I mean, the idea that there's show horses and workhorses in Congress is not necessarily a new thing. It's not unique. But with the rise of social media combined with the rise of Trump, this outrage politics, trolling politics has become the mainstream. These are the vocal uh, voices in the Republican Party right now. And if you look at the Freedom Caucus, it was designed to be a conservative counterweight to the Republican Study Committee. Which okay. So, you know, it's not just – I mean, this is not new in politics, obviously. Uh, we can take the clip off. <laughs> We're done with them. <laughs> Those people. <laughs> I love how how he just does not hold back. He has no opinion. He he like is not a journalist anymore. He's full on commentator. There's no difference between our show and that show anymore. Um, but what I find interesting is this is the business model has always existed, right? It's never it's it's always existed that campaigns do things. They have PR stunts to raise money, to get attention, to break through the press. But the internet has made it just so like they've sped up the process so much more whether it's the news cycle or the ability to generate outrage. And and it's dangerous. I mean, now we're seeing – forget about the guns. I mean, that's dangerous in itself. The the attacks that they're against, you know, the squad members who have personal security that they can't pay for, 
you know, out of out of their funds that the the government provides for them. They have to go into their campaign accounts. Yeah. To, they're raising money to have security guards because, you know, they get so many death threats. This is I don't know why we haven't done anything. Why why is leadership just sitting? I mean, at least passed a law. Do something. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't. I think after January 6th, I'm like, look, I am not pro-cop, but maybe I'm a little bit pro-cop. Like, where, where's the protection here? And yeah, so you think about someone like Representative Omar, like being hung out to dry and having to pay out of pocket for her own security detail. That's BS. Um, so I don't know where things stand on all that. But in terms of Jan Dan Crenshaw, obviously, he... <laughs> He is describing himself, Mr. Eyepatch Man, who jumps out of planes and does like skydiving for a campaign ad. Like, what are you what are you talking about? What are your policy ideas? Like what like if you actually talk about yeah, yeah, talk freedom. about policy, go. What are He's they? We'll wait. Freedom. Um, Lauren, I want to get to your response real quick, but I, I really do want to play uh what Francesca just mentioned, this clip of of Dan Crenshaw, you know, being a freedom fighter for us. We don't have to watch the whole thing. I can't even. Oh my god, it, it's worse. Why are we watching him drink coffee? <laughs> hey, I can do that too, guys. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Very creepy. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, will be to save Texas. To do so, you must recruit an exceptional team of congressional candidates. They must be courageous patriotic and absolutely fearless time is of the essence the nation's future is dependent upon your success anyways that was him just uh getting ready to jump out of an airplane and <laughs> and take on washington nope. i mean the, it's so well produced on top of it like it cost a lot of money and if yep. it didn't someone should investigate that <laughs> lauren go ahead you've heard for congress did you have an I, like that? oh my gosh um <laughs> Well, my my dear friend, uh, who was a videographer, um, did his very first video. That was our introductory video. It was the rate we could afford, and it ended up being really beautiful. But um, not everyone has a Spencer Snyder. <laughs> um, anyway, I am just I'm baffled at the fact. I realize that there's still ongoing arrests and investigations, but I feel like for being so pro-safety, pro-law, quote-unquote, not real at all, but for being, like, law-abiding citizens, um, I just find it so strange that we don't hear a lot of, like, Dan Crenshaw's talking about how a bunch of people tried to get into Congress and murder a bunch of people, mm -hmm. um, including Mike Pence. Right. Like, they, tr they wanted to murder him by the end of the day, and he's like, oh, that's okay, that's fair. And I, I just, where are we? I don't, I don't understand what we are anymore other than potentially a failed experiment. That's kind of where I am right now. <laughs> you know, I think it, it's interesting you say that because I remember in um, the wake of, of the George Floyd uh, protests in the, the summer of, of, you know, and we continued on obviously, but those incredible uprisings that happened, um, I remember thinking all these cities have, you know, Republicans are right. <laughs> all these cities do have Democratic mayors. But I was more concerned that the Democratic mayors were so afraid of of the police force and thinking, God, at least, you know, de Blasio, de Blasio could do, just investigate the Eric, I mean, it took so long to get him to move on Eric Garner. 
as they gotta have something on him. They like they must be doing something. And then sure enough, they doxed de Blasio's daughter. Right. And de Blasio still couldn't stand up to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which makes me think there's something like, I mean, you want to talk about deep state. That's the deep state. They're so afraid of something. And I don't know what it is, but it's it's enough to put your own family at, at risk. Like, what is it that they have on them? Yeah. It's no. worse than like maybe your daughter getting hurt. I don't even know what that is. Exactly. I mean, and it's also like lo- losing donors. <laughs> you know, there's also that part. I mean, I think in it's terms the parties, of parties, pol- not gonna lie, it's the the way it's the correspondence dinner. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Mm, uh, I just want that front row seat. I get it. You know, Cecily Strong is there, and that's great. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't want to give that up either. But I feel like Alex Vitali, who writes about, um, he's got a book called The End of Policing, and he's just an awesome scholar and thinker on on police and the idea of abolishing them. He always talks about democratic mayors as like needing police because they basically when democratic mayors are not able to deliver or do not put uh, ending income inequality first, someone has to police that income inequality. Someone has to um, lock up homeless people. Someone has to, you know, like clean up the clutter that is the mess that not actually addressing things like housing, healthcare, me- human rights, uh, human services, mental health care services that that creates. So it's like, yeah, man, Democratic mayors love the police. Right. Yeah, they don't uh, want to. They don't yeah. want to take on their donors. They don't want to tax uh, – forget about taxing wealthy people. I mean, they'll find another place. They don't want to tax real estate, which is making yeah. money off of keeping people unhoused, having a bunch of empty apartments owned by oligarchs who aren't paying taxes and hiding their money and paying in cash. And so it creates this – it shifts how cities function right now, and it's happened at a much faster rate than I think anybody could have imagined. Um, Lauren, you know, because you literally oh, yeah. moved from the Upper East Side to, to my neighborhood. In fact, oh, you're yes. in the other room right now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we are we are pretty much neighbors now. But yeah, it's I've I've gotten pushed from apartment to apartment. First of all, because having a rent stabilized apartment is extremely rare and rent stabilization also isn't a complete fix in and of itself because uh there's two different rates, the real rate that they're allowed to charge you and the rate that you pay mm-hmm. and this differential which could be like a thousand dollars uh that could change yep. at any mm-hmm. given time. Totally legal. Totally legal. This is the world that we live in. Um, All right. I want to touch on two more issues before before we wrap up. We have this Twitter, the new uh, Twitter policy. Let's play that. So a lot of people recently reached out to me about some changes that Twitter made, specifically to their private information and media policy. Now, this part of their terms of service already made it a violation. If someone was to maliciously share like personal phone numbers, uh, someone's banking information, their medical records, but it recently added media of private individuals without the permission of the person or persons depicted. So any image or video of a person without that person expressly saying, yes, take my image and use it. In other words, every video that I make trying to find someone. Now, Twitter claimed that this update was to help curb the misuse of media to harass, intimidate, and reveal the identities of private individuals, which disproportionately impact women, activists, dissidents, and members of minority communities. Bullshit. The other rules already did that. When you're talking about activists, especially regarding marginalized communities, we show our face. We don't have to hide. It's the people spreading hate that hide in the shadows. So with this rule, there's a video where someone screams racial slurs and attacks someone physically. And then I get that video and I go, hey, this person was attacked, they wanna press charges, this is a hate crime. 
that video technically isn't allowed to be here. And it doesn't stop there. When the tragedy was happening at Astroworld, a lot of those people used Twitter to get out what was going on. All those videos have to be pulled because there's people in it that didn't get permission. Or January 6th, the insurrection. Yes, people there were recording, but a bunch of people in the frame didn't give permission to be there. The FBI used that to arrest a ton of people. But by this rule, that stuff can't be on Twitter. And of course, it took no time for bad people to weaponize this. One of the Nazi organizers from Charlottesville made this post to a Discord. Due to the new privacy policy at Twitter, things now unexpectedly work more in our favor, as we can take down Antifa F-slurs, doxing people. And then he posted a ton of old tweets that he feels violated this new ruling. And his little Nazis came in mass and reported those tweets and got a bunch of activists' accounts suspended or deleted. So Twitter, not only did you not protect those disproportionately affected groups, you just gave the very people who want to hurt them another tool to do just that. I, 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 don't, I don't even know what to say at this point. Uh, you know, we, we have these incredible crises, terrorist attacks on the Capitol, a massive shooting after massive shooting, a horrible tragedy at Astroworld, and yet the lesson is to triple, quadruple down? I'm, I'm, Twitter's a very smart company. They are very aware of their data. They are very aware of who gets affected most by this. Uh, I mean, Francesca, what do you think? You've been on Twitter for a while. Yeah. I mean, I think this is, this goes hand in hand with a lot of things that, plat, uh, you know, big platforms and tech firms do always, which is, um, create new, um, restrictions and, and, uh, user agreements, that are supposed to they they claim protect people who are marginalized but they never actually talk to those marginalized people ever they never actually consulted them they never actually give them the reins they never invite them in the room they never sit down with the groups and the people who've been most targeted and affected and trolled and doxxed and 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 even even threatened in uh with their lives they never let them write the policy they're just like no 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 this is totally going to protect you but actually I mean, I'm like, I'm like, you know who pr is protected by the Astro World videos not coming out? Live Nation. Mm -hmm. Corporations are protected when you don't allow videos like that to come out. Um, so yeah, you gotta, you always wonder, and you know, behind the scenes, there's definitely going to be corporations who are like, you know, we need to tamp down on some of these videos that are going out around there. And of course, Nazis are going to find those loopholes and be like, tight, this is great. I I think the other way that it's censoring important information is um twitter and social media has been a really great platform for showing how abusive the police are against people of color yep. and i guess we're not allowed to post those videos now either of police just like beating people are, but are they private they're not private they're, those are public employees so oh, okay that's maybe the line. well that's my loophole they have their <laughs> nazi loophole this is the Nomi loophole. But it's all, you could see a scenario in which it would be censored because it's like, oh, look, there's violence happening. Right. It's like, yeah, we yeah. know. That's the point of sharing it. Yeah. That's insane. Okay, speaking of violence, um, in the ongoing – save the best for last. In the ongoing, uh, you know – attacks against women. Um, so we are fully aware of what's been happening in Texas in terms of um, 
the laws that have come out because because hey Dems, be great if you actually uh, had some sort of investment in local parties so you could fight off these Republicans who've decided to take over our legislatures and gerrymander the heck out of the next ten generations of our policies. Um, yeah, so so Supreme Court uh, rules today this morning that Texas abortion providers can actually sue over the ban, but it won't. But they won't stop the law because you know why would they do that? They're a conservative activist court that has a mission. Um, Lauren, how dystopian, where are our lines of defense at this point? I mean, Attorney General uh, Tish James has announced that there is a pathway now in New York for abortion providers here to pay for abortions for folks who come in from other states. Mm. Um, you know, if, if, even if you're not covered by New York insurance, um, or it's, it, I mean, we're more covered here because we have uh, obviously a Democratic-controlled state for now. Um, <laughs> but I mean, is that the only line of defense at this point is lawsuits and having the financial ability to go to another state that can provide an abortion? And obviously there's some risky situations and, you know, why people have to get abortions. Yeah, I think, um, our, our, our leadership, including the Supreme Court are completely failing the country. This is one of the examples of one of the greatest failures in modern history is that, we're, we're putting so many women in danger again. Like we've already fought this battle many, many times. Frankly, I'm bored. This mm -hmm. is a boring conversation and fight. And, and we keep coming back to it. Um, and also there are so many studies with so much data about how abortions decrease whenever you make them legal and increase the education about safe sex. Right. Crazy, right? If we just make sure that everybody has preventative measures to prevent unwanted babies from being conceived in the first place, mm -hmm. then abortions drop. Why yeah. don't we focus on that? Um, um, but I, I actually, I encourage women who live in red states to get the fuck out. And <laughs> <If you can. laughs> um, I, I wish there was a special fund to get them housing up here because, oh. frankly, I hope that all of these Republican men never get to sleep with any women ever again. Um, David, can we work on that link and have that by the end of the show? Fun for 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 right red state women. We don't care if you're Republican. Relocate you know. women Just to come blue on. states. Come on up here. You know, maybe, we'll oh you. my God, I thought of an idea, guys. Got it, ready? We, you know how Texas always wants to like secede from the nation and like Austin's always like, well, what about us? Okay, ooh, hey, Felix, that's, 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 that's Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Hey. Speaking of, speaking, speaking she of always, someone to blame. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> Don't blame the woman. Did she come back as a cat? Because that cat looks young. Yes, this is uh this is Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I named her that because she has a supreme. She, she, she has a collar. Yeah, she's got the collar. Oh my god, she's, she's got, got the cute. collar. So perfect timing. Um, she had to get in. <laughs> but what if we carve out part of a state, like in a in a in a left state, but like specifically it could be New York, right? It could literally be Astoria. What if just like the people of Astoria decide we are we're not, you know, we're gonna declare our own state, not like our own zone, but our own state. And only women are allowed to be here. And that's it. And if you are a woman, if you identify as a woman, you are welcome to the feminist state of Astoria or these two streets in Astoria. Sorry, we have the feminist to state of Astoria sounds really dope. Right? I like, love it. I think we, I mean, it's it's going to require a little bit of organizing. It might get a little messy uh, pushing out the men. You but need guns. I mean, let's be real. Yeah. yeah. 
I would like to partner with the Prime Minister of Finland. <laughs> oh I my think God. that that's why we need to meet her in a nightclub and discuss. Yes. Yes. Okay, what if we honey trap? I got it. Invite all the men, all the straight men. <laughs> And, and the gay men, but it'll be different, different kind of nightclub. And you honey trap them into coming. And then you just put them on a bus and send them to the right red states. Yeah. I was thinking more of like along the lines of like hustlers, like, oh, you yeah. know, yeah. get them real drunk and steal their money type thing, use their credit cards to fund the state. But I, you know, it's a slower process. We're going to Mackenzie Bezos. I think she's a little pissed off. At her her uh, her ex and is no someone yes. fun is someone lobbying Mackenzie because I feel like she's ripe at this moment. I'm on it. I'm on okay, it. good. Yeah, no, this is a great plan, Mackenzie, Prime Minister of Finland. Us, <laughs> I think we're on a roll here. You know, you know, as crazy as this might sound, you know, what's crazier. Every effing thing that yes. Republicans come up with on a day to day basis that gets passed. So as yeah. crazy as we sound, why not try something new? Well, I, I, I'm, you know, I just want to say making it a little bit serious. I agree with Lauren that I am actually really bored of having to refight this fight over and over again. And it makes me wonder what the F, um, you know, pro-choice organizations and Democrats have been up to this entire time. Um, is this live? Because that's dope. Yeah. Um, but right now. Oh no, no, no. It's earlier well i mean and look this these are the things you know women having to get arrested people having to risk their lives and 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 you know take out you know this is part of their time and dedicating their lives to this work but i'm like a lot of the pro-choice work has been wrapped up in the nonprofit industrial complex yeah. for a very long time now. And to what end? Right. We've seen what the right has wanted to do when it comes to abortion rights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They took the L for a while, but that they've been, you know, grooming people like, right. you know, uh, Brett Kavanaugh and and Amy Coney Barrett for a very long time. They know what they, the natural conclusion mm -hmm. of these, you know, sort of the origin story of these anti-abortion villains has been, you know, mm -hmm. they've been there. They got the prequels and yeah. now we're seeing the, you know, the real thing. They're in the Supreme Court. So what's the response? What's been our origin story? Where's our like, you know, sort of anarchist, butch, lesbian, like lawyers that we've been like funneling through the system who are like, yeah, now we're going to cut off all the dicks. You know what I mean? Like, I want that. <laughs> I am, I've been saying. No, but seriously, it's not the dicks. It's the testicles because that's where the oh, anger right. lies. Exactly. Got, we've all had dogs. I'm not kidding. I've said this over <laughs> and over. And our dear friend of the show, Rab, uh, from, from Pennsylvania, he's a, a state it's rep. The testicles. It's the yes, testicles. Sorry, keep going. It's the testes, guys. I, I'm really, I'm so passionate about this. It just comes out like. So Rep Rab has heard me say this so many times that he actually presented a bill in the House, the Republican House in Pennsylvania, saying that all men – I said it was too incrementalist for me. Like, if you're going to do it, go all in. <laughs> you, you let them negotiate the terms. But all men on over the age of 40 or who have had more than three children are forced to have vasectomies. And I'm like, great. Still not far enough. If you're going to do – and he calls it a parody bill. I'm like, don't call it a parody bill. That's not a parody bill. That's real That should bill. happen. Real bill. Happen. It's a real bill. Real so bill. I'm announcing my run for – governor today. Um, and <laughs> I have New York governor now that our, our queen Tish James has decided to step down even though she would have won and there's no reason. I, I wait, 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 for real? Yeah. Yes. She's running. She's running again for AG. Hmm. Yeah. We've left why. that out of the show, but I will, I will, uh, 
address it in another she, point. Yeah, I'll address it. She was, she was, she definitely had a pathway. I think that I don't know. I don't know what was going on in her head, but I'm sure there were a lot of advisors around there telling her, she, you know, there were a lot of hit pieces coming out saying she wasn't raising money, even though she raised like a million dollars in three weeks. And Kathy Hochul's had like the year and she raised four million. And I'm like, and the campaign hasn't even started. It didn't make any sense to me. She had a clear huh. pathway. You know, it, it didn't make sense. So I'm voting for the prime minister of Finland. <laughs> no, Lauren wants everyone. Voting again? for me. <laughs> oh, right. I'm voting for you. And then sh she can be your uh lg yes yes i don't think i mean we just need to see if you can do you, i don't know if the residency law that would be fascinating loophole you know what it's better than a sex pest someone who's not even from here what's a sex pest oh like cuomo yeah oh oh, oh. Cuomo. <laughs> someone who like may or may not even come to new york during their term is still better than cuomo totally uh <laughs> I, you know, I do feel like Eric Adams would probably try to court and get along with the prime minister of Finland, you know, because they're like, <laughs> I like club. clubbing, you like clubbing. <laughs> I, isn't everyone vegan in Finland? <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's the pathway. You got to meet people where they are. And physically they're at the nightclub and that's where all the you know it used to be that she should have responded and said you know these bros have been going to like the golf course and going like fishing because they're in finland whatever they do over there <laughs> and that's where they have all their little private meets strip clubs of course she wants to go clubbing she's like i do business and i dance and i take the phone out of the room because i know you guys are monitoring me so bye bye yeah she said what that. they wanted to hear was just like i'm looking for a husband for the future <laughs> to make the future of finnish people <laughs> that's what they wanted <laughs> Nope. I love it. Oh, my God. All right. Uh, Finland Prime Minister for, for Governor. <laughs> Can we get a name? What's her name again? I'm, I'm going to look it up right now. I think it's really hard to say. That's why we keep. <laughs> Santa Marin. Wow. That's a name. That's... Or Sana. Dude. What is it? Where is Sana it? Marin. That's Sana actually not Marin. that bad. I like thought Sana was Marin be... for Lieutenant Governor. <laughs> no, me key counts. Sana Marin. Ticket. Vasectomies for all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> love it. I love it. You guys would make awesome running mates. Yes. I, I can feel it. I think we <laughs> we just have to call her up. Someone, if you know Sana Marin, please send this to her. We have the website already set up because we are, I don't know, you may think that I'm just sitting here up against a wall with a light behind me, but we have a real operation. <laughs> it is a massive operation on the other end. We are like purposely trying to be accessible here. Yeah, all you have to do is announce, and uh, all all the Finnish media is going to come to you. You could definitely, like, first of all, that's my backup plan is to go to Finland and like have a late night show. You know, in like five <laughs> years, if this whole comedy news comedy thing doesn't work out, I mean, uh, that's what I'm out. doing. Yeah, I think I could do that, and you know, they all they speak say. English. As Finland goes, so goes New York. <laughs> I love you ladies so much. Thank you for Fem Friday. You were a blast. You made my Friday. Uh, please, let's do this again soon. Please. In the and meantime. Also, I'll meet you guys in the club. Yeah, I was yeah, just going to say, what, what you wearing tonight? This. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, can I show you what I'm actually wearing right now? I told David. He was like, yes. I don't do this normally for the show. <laughs> Please be a cat suit. Oh, my God. No. <laughs> I told him, I said, normally I dress up, but I'm so cold. I'm wearing um definitely not matching. Wait, where are my slippers? <laughs> oh my god, yes. Thing. 
This is it's Fem Friday. They say yes. casual Friday. Wait, where are my slippers? Slippers. So cute. Doesn't match. Doesn't matter. Who cares? This is. I know this is what everybody's been doing. And like, listen, if this is my worst crime, then Jeff and Jeffrey Tubin's still back on air. You. Yeah. Uh, that is a queen's outfit. Yes. That is a queen's attire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Scruffy pants. All right. Love you guys. Have a great, great, great weekend. And to everybody else, thank you for sticking around for Fem Friday. I hope you've learned a lot. Uh, we're going to keep bringing it to you. We're going to shove it down your throat. <laughs> Share it with the other men because we know the majority of you are men watching because I know the analytics of YouTube politics. We're going to cut <laughs> your testicles off. Yes, that's yeah. the lesson here. But you can be a great ally too. And if you live in Astoria and you're a man, we're coming for you. We're coming. For you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mickey. Right. Thanks, guys. Thank <laughs> See you. Later. you. All right, everybody. Thanks for watching. As always, stay in solidarity and check us out on Rockfin. Uh, we do TNS Live. We start off here on YouTube.com slash The Nomi Key Show. And for you patrons and everybody else listening, uh, meet us over on Tuesday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern. We do an extensive interview one-on-one -on -one, uh, with some of our favorite guests. We get into a lot of issues, a much deeper dive on those issues. Rockfin.com slash Nomi Key. And of course, you can meet us on YouTube too and, and move over there. Uh, in the meantime, stay in solidarity and have a nice weekend. The No Mickey Show. Clash momentarily for class solidarity. Cash circulating, give the masses back its currency. Greed from elites, oligarchs stay fed. Deep state, faith fed. Everybody break bread. Racism, homophobia, sexism, religion, and it's melted by reliving. Time to build a new system. Unionize labor rights. Highlight the issue. Talking heads left his best. The saga continues. continues. The No Mickey Show.